Worship leaders, worship musicians, and those who love to worship. What's the deal with yeast in the Bible? Let's talk about it. Welcome to Blueprint Sounds. My name is Nathan Smith. Thank you for joining me. Today we're going to be talking about yeast in the Bible, but first I'd like to give you something. If you go to my website, blueprintsounds.com, you can get access to my free PDF called 25 Chart Topping Arrangement Tricks. If you have a song you've been working on with your team that's okay, but you'd like it to grab people's attention and hold it for longer during the song, download this chart. It gives you 25 great ideas for how to do that, arrangement tricks that you can use, with a couple of sentences about why that trick works, and then a song from the radio that exemplifies the trick. Again, go to my website, blueprintsounds.com, or you can click on the link nearby, blueprintsounds.com forward slash 25 tricks. With that said, let's get to today's topic, yeast in the Bible. The Bible actually has a lot to say about yeast, both in the Old and New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Israelites, just before they're going to be delivered out of Egypt, are commanded to eat unleavened bread, meaning bread that has not had any yeast in it, so it doesn't rise. It's kind of flat like a cracker. And they're supposed to eat it with the Passover lamb with their garments wrapped around them to show that they are ready to get out of Egypt. The, the point being that the yeast would have needed time to rise, and they're not even going to give it that long. They're going to bake it immediately so they can get out of Egypt and Egypt's influence. Paul has some stuff to say about yeast, and that's where we're going to get started. So outside of Jesus and the Gospels, Paul is the only one who mentions yeast in the New Testament. And he mentions yeast under two very different circumstances, but with the same saying. He uses this phrase, don't you know that a little leaven works its way through the entire lump of dough? But it's very interesting when you look at the churches that he wrote to, how different their circumstances are. So that's what we're going to talk about. First, we start with Corinthia. So first and second Corinthians are letters that Paul writes to the church in Corinth or Corinthia. And Corinthia was an interesting town. It was on the coastline of Greece and it sat in this very, very strategic location. It was a port town, but it actually controlled two different ports. It was very cosmopolitan. It had a lot of wealth because of all of its trade, it had a lot of natural beauty. But it also had a lot of lawlessness. It had, at one of its mountaintops, a temple to Aphrodite. And as part of their worship, they had cult prostitution. And it was so rampant in the city that Greeks, even Plato, called prostitutes Corinthians. So that's how bad it was. It was very, it was very beautiful town. It was very well-to-do, had a lot of arts, but it also had a lot of licentiousness and sexual immorality. You could sort of think of it like a New York City or a San Francisco for us Americans. Obviously, in a city like that, there are going to be some issues. The church in Corinth had a lot of things that Paul needed to correct. They had squabbles with each other about, oh, I'm Paul's disciple, I'm Apollos' disciple, I'm, I'm Jesus' disciple. There was a lot of disorderliness and, and impropriety in worship, but one of the big ones was the sexual immorality that they were tolerating. So that's where we'll start. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. This is Paul speaking. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, and immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, 
so that the one who had done this deed would be removed for your, from your midst. I'll skip a little bit. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. So Paul is making the analogy of leaven and referencing the Old Testament Passover, but now Christ is our Passover lamb. And so what he's saying is, hey, you guys are not only tolerating, but you're celebrating that a man is having sexual relations with his father's wife, your mother-in-law, and that's even beyond what the Gentiles do, and you are allowing it. But there's something interesting that he links to that sin, and that is the sin of pride. He says, your boasting is not good. Well, that word boasting that we translate in English as boasting is the Greek word phusio. And that word actually means to inflate or become puffed up, which is a a wonderful visual expression of what arrogance actually is. And it's not hard to understand why the church in Corinth would suffer with pride. Because if you think about what we just said about Corinth being a metropolis and natural beauty and all of this trade and all of this wealth, it kind of makes sense that they would have a problem with pride. And what's linked with pride? Well, it's sexual immorality, but really the core of that sexual immorality is lawlessness and a disregard for boundaries, a disregard for the natural order of things and, and how what is appropriate and what is prudent. It's so bad in the church that they are going beyond even what Gentiles accept as natural. Gentiles are like, no, we, that's incest. We don't do that. And yet the church is like, oh, we're free in Christ. They go way beyond that. And so it obviously needs correcting. Well, for the rest of the letter, Paul explains what propriety in worship is. He gives them a lot of rules and regulations because that's what they need. That church in a lawless town is acting lawlessly, lawlessly, and they really need to understand what propriety is, what appropriateness is in their worship and in the way that they act towards one another. Paul even sets this up at the very beginning of his letter. Here's 1 Corinthians 1, 2. To the church of God, which is in Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus, their Lord and ours. Paul is bringing up sanctification or being called to be holy from the very beginning, and that's what his letter is going to be about. Here's how to walk in holiness, Church of Corinth. Well, there's another church in the region of Galatia that Paul has a very different attitude toward. So Galatia isn't like Corinth. It's not a city, but it is a region, and it has a very different problem than Corinth. Judaizers had moved into the area and started to influence these new believers. And Judaizers were people who were Jews, who said they were Christians, but they were trying to convince people that not only do we need to believe in Jesus to be saved, but we also need to follow all of the Old Testament law. And they said, you know, if if you only believe in Jesus, you're a second-class citizen. The real followers are those who follow all the Old Testament law, including circumcision. The pressure that Judaizers had put on new Christians had gotten so bad that even Peter, and remember Peter is the apostle who got the revelation of the sheet coming down from heaven, which was an analogy for the fact that Gentiles were going to become Christians. It wasn't just for Jews, it was for everybody. Even Peter was beginning to withdraw from the Gentiles and no longer eat with them as he had before. 
And so Paul takes a very different attitude with the Galatians. Let's read the first part. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. I'll skip down just a little bit. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for another gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Notice how forceful Paul is in this letter. He comes out swinging. The pleasantries are very short, and he says, hey, my authority comes from God. Why does he do that? Well, the Judaizers, in their deception of these Galatians, had sown this doubt into the Galatians about Paul's authority. They said, no, Paul doesn't count. He's, he's not a real apostle. You need to listen to us. We're the ones who really know the law. And so that explains why Paul is so forceful in asserting his authority that comes directly from Jesus and not from men. Then he goes on to say, I am astonished that you have fallen so quickly from understanding grace given by Jesus to now going back to works like it was in the Old Testament law. But then Paul uses the exact same analogy that he had with the church in Corinth, here in chapter 5, verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. So Paul sees in the Galatian church this leaven, this yeast, working its way through the community. In the case of the Corinthians, it was pride and sexual immorality and general lawlessness. But in Galatia, the sin, the leaven, was legalism, and it had its own things that Paul could tell were affecting the community. In chapter 4, Paul reminds them of a personal story of how he actually first came to speak in Galatia. Here we are in chapter 4, verse 13. But you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is that sense of blessedness you had? For I bear witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul saw two things in the Galatian church that tipped him off. One was a lack of joy or that sense of gratitude and blessedness, and the other was cutting off from relationship and cutting off from fellowship people that they used to have fellowship with. Again, Paul first came to the Galatians under unfortunate circumstances. He was ill, and yet they took care of them and and treated him like it was having Jesus in their midst. They were incredibly grateful. And that, that word that he uses, that sense of blessedness, can also be translated sense of joy. So they were a joyful community. They were so happy to have Paul there. And yet, now that's gone. And now they're treating him like an enemy and very suspicious of him because of this new arbitrary purity test of circumcision, which Paul has explained thoroughly does not come from the Lord. That's not what God is blessing anymore. It's faith in Jesus Christ alone. Well, that's one of the fruits of legalism. Legalism will say, anybody that doesn't agree with our doctrine, we have to cast out of fellowship. Not acceptable. And it also saps the joy from the community. And Paul could see that. It sapped the joy from the Galatian community. And that same thing will happen nowadays. So whether it's lawlessness or whether it's legalism, 
it will work itself through your community given enough time. So how did Paul respond to these problems in Corinth and Galatia? Two very, very different churches with very different problems. He uses the principle of what we call coming in the opposite spirit. He didn't give them the same type of letter. He gave them very different kinds of letters. And I believe that the linchpin is right here in 1 Corinthians 4. Let a man regard us in this manner, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That word servant is officer, but it actually literally means oarman, a subordinate oarman, like a rower. That's what Paul believed the Corinthians needed to understand. Hey, you've got all this freedom, but it's actually lawlessness and you're just all doing whatever you want. You need to remember that you are under the authority of Christ and you have certain obligations and responsibilities to live in holiness. And so understanding servanthood is critical for the Corinthian church. But let's look at Galatians. Let's read Galatians 5, 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. The Galatian church had bound themselves to something that they weren't obligated to anymore, that old covenant. And so what they really needed to understand was the principle of freedom, that God wanted them to walk in new freedom and new life and not be bound by old religious laws that did not apply. Corinth had one kind of leaven, Galatia had another kind of leaven. But in both cases, Paul wrote in the opposite spirit, calling them either to holiness and servanthood or calling them into freedom. So how does this apply to us today? These two leavens are just as prevalent as they were in the time of Corinth and Galatia. On the one side, we have lawlessness. On the other, we have legalism. Lawlessness manifests itself in pride and sexual immorality and squabbles. Legalism manifests itself in a joyless community that cuts itself off from fellowship with other believers based on arbitrary purity tests. We combat it in ourselves in our families, in our churches, in our worship teams, by coming at it in the opposite spirit. To combat lawlessness, we have to go deep into understanding what it means to be a servant of Christ. To combat legalism, we have to look at the principle of freedom and go beyond joyless obedience, which is no way to live your life. So that just gets us started talking about the topic of yeast in the Bible. But did you actually know there's good yeast too? We'll talk about that on another episode. Hey, I hope this video helped you. And again, if you need help with your arrangements, go to blueprintsounds.com forward slash 25 tricks. Until next time, God bless and goodbye.